0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You could say last week's readings were about wrestling, especially wrestling with temptation brought on by Satan. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan's lies, and as we heard from Genesis chapter 3, they ate the fruit which God had forbidden them to eat. You could say that they wrestled with the devil and they lost. Jesus was led by God the Spirit in the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights after Jesus was baptized. He too was tempted by the devil. Yet Jesus never gave in to any of the temptations that he faced. You could say that Jesus wrestled and he won. And given that we live in a fallen world, we continue to wrestle that old evil foe. It is written, when we are taught to put on the whole armor of God, these words, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you are reading Mark right now as part of your Lenten discipline, you will notice that Jesus is dealing with many who are possessed by demons. It comes up a lot as you read the Gospel of Mark. Why? Because Satan was working extra hard to bring down the Son of Man to keep Jesus from obtaining the victory over sin, death, and the devil. Satan wrestled with Jesus and lost. Jesus, though he was crucified, lives. And we will joyfully sing at Easter, The foe was triumphant, went on Calvary. The Lord of creation was nailed to the tree. In Satan's domain did the hosts shout and jeer, for Jesus was slain whom the evil ones fear." Satan thought that he was getting the upper hand, that he was winning the fight. Satan thought perhaps death could solve everything, a temptation that many even think to this day. But as we know, Jesus will not be defeated in his death. In fact, his death serves as the ransom payment for the sins of the entire world. The shedding of Christ's own innocent blood means payment for our many sins is now made in full, that though though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ proves that Jesus is victorious and that eternal life, The very blessing that Adam and Eve had but lost when they ate the forbidden fruit now belongs to us again. And so we'll also sing in that same hymn, He's Risen, He's Risen. But short was their triumph, the Savior arose, and death, hell, and Satan, he vanquished his foes. The conquering Lord lifts his banner on high, he lives, yes, he lives, and will never more die our lord lives the battle is won which our lord jesus fought and our salvation is complete as christians we take confidence in what jesus has done for us a confidence is our words that we sang boldly last week but for us fights the valiant one whom god himself elected Ask ye, who is this, Jesus Christ it is, of Sabaoth, Lord, there's none other God, he holds the field forever. Singing that in a mighty fortress. Jesus may have seemed to be weak as he was stripped of his clothes, mocked with a crown of thorns and whipped to a bloody pulp and then nailed to a cross. But Jesus actually did that all for you with your salvation in mind. For he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, bearing the shame. Jesus did this to earn your salvation. He could not earn it through gold or silver, but through his holy, precious blood and innocent suffering and death. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. He fought the temptation to sin. He fought the sting of death and the power of, devil, of the devil, and Jesus won. He wrestled with all of these and overcame them all. This week's readings feature wrestling with our flesh, you could even say with others, and even with God. Our epistle addresses wrestling with the flesh. It is written, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in honor and holiness, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Many have bought into the lie of our age that says that you can do whatever you want, whatever you please because your body belongs to you as if there are no consequences for your various choices. But experience shows rather quickly that there is no such such thing as inconsequential sex when it is done outside the bonds and safety of holy matrimony. Many are left scarred because of a moment's pleasure. Children suffer from broken relationships and STDs are rampant. The Bible says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Thus it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, sexual desire is part of God's creation. It is good, for it drives men and women to get married and to have children to fulfill that command from God, that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and to be fruitful and to multiply. But of course, in the midst of this, there is much sexual temptation. And so we must wrestle against the temptations of the flesh. For it is also written in Colossians 3, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In addition with wrestling against our flesh, there are times when we must wrestle with others. We do not see in them, though, an enemy which must be destroyed, nor do we fight to advance Christianity using torches and clubs and weapons, like the Pharisees did when they went out to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we do see examples in today's readings. In Genesis chapter 32 Jacob had spent about 20 years with his father-in-law Laban and building a family. Eleven of his 12 sons are born by that point. And now Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau because Jacob had left the place where Laban is was living and was going back to the promised land. After sending word to his brother Esau that he is Coming that Jacob is coming, Esau decides to come out and meet Jacob, not alone, but Esau brings with him 400 men. Jacob is fearing for his life. No surprise. After all, Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright for a bowl of lentil soup, and he stole the blessing of their father, from Esau by dressing up as him when Isaac was an elderly man. He fled on bad terms two decades earlier and now that Esau receives word that Jacob is coming, Esau shows up with 400 men. So Jacob, fearing for his own safety and the safety of his family and his servants and his animals, he divides them into groups so that Esau will not destroy all that belongs to Jacob. He separates himself even from his own family for that one night before he meets up with Esau. And that is the night where Jacob wrestles with God, as we read in our Old Testament reading. The following day, Jacob and Esau meet. Jacob is prepared to give him gifts and possibly fight. But, Genesis 33 reports, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I suppose Jacob could have avoided the whole thing. He could have tried to stay away from Esau forever, but Jacob did the right thing. He had to wrestle with these matters. And it resulted in reconciliation. In addition, the Syrophoenician woman, called the Canaanite in our gospel, and Mark, she's called the Syrophoenician woman, she had to wrestle with the disciples. They were annoyed that she was begging Jesus for mercy to help her demon-possessed daughter. The disciples, the ones whom Jesus has raised up to help others, we're now calling on Jesus to send this woman away because she was an annoyance to them. There will be times, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when people will be wanting to keep you away from your Savior. They will be annoyed if you keep on praying to Jesus for mercy. They will be annoyed if you say that your appointments ca- calendar is is busy on Sunday mornings because you must draw near to the Lord and be in the house of God. They will belittle you and make you feel insignificant for being a Christian. But as gold is purified by fire, so our faith is strengthened by... Our faith is tested and strengthened through trials. Our faith gets tested when others try to pull us away from our Savior And so we wrestle with the situation. We cling to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And while there may be times we wrestle with others, as Paul did when he opposed Cephas to his face, and as he dealt with Alexander by contending for the truth, we do not get even, nor do we take revenge, for God has declared, Vengeance is mine, I will repay." And so in addition to wrestling with our flesh and even others, there are times to wrestle with God. The clearest example in scripture is exactly as we heard in our Old Testament reading with Jacob. God came and wrestled with him through the night. When Jacob realized that this wasn't Esau wrestling with him, but the son of God, Jacob would not let go until he received a blessing from God. As part of his blessing, Jacob is now named Israel. And on this, Luther wrote, Israel means a prince or God's fighter, that is, he who wrestles with God and wins. This happens through that faith which holds so firmly to God's word until it overcomes God's wrath and obtains God as the gracious Father. So yes, as Luther writes, wrestling with God involves overcoming God's wrath And obtaining God as the gracious Father. You can see this also in the Canaanite woman in our gospel. When she approaches Jesus, she doesn't stay a ways off, putting on some show of humility. She doesn't approach her Savior timidly, but she does so with boldness. And she does so with confidence. She makes her petitions before the Lord. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. You would think that Jesus would respond with the way that we're used to, that he would have great compassion and instantly perform a miracle. But Jesus does not respond to her. He remains silent. He has her do what Jacob had to do and wrestle with God. After the disciples petitioned Jesus to send her away, Jesus finally spoke, saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And given that this woman is a foreigner, a Canaanite, from the land of Tyre and Sidon, from that region of Phoenicia, She could have gotten the hint and left. Well, I guess I'm a foreigner. I guess I'll just put my head down and uh, get away. I'm not good enough for him. But she knew the true nature of Jesus. She, in faith, clung to Jesus She knew it was best to stay and wrestle with him, and so she draws near to Jesus. She kneels before him, and she says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus responds with words that also sound rather offensive. He says it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Calling her a dog, what would you do if God came down from heaven to earth and announce that's who you are? Would you respond as she did, saying, yes, Lord? Or would you decide that you're too good to be called a sinner? But she replied, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She fought against any emotions telling her to run away in tears. And instead, she recognized that everything Jesus said of her is true, that she deserves none of God's mercy. But in faith, clinging to her Savior, she would take whatever morsels God would allow would be granted to her. And so she, like Jacob, clings to Christ without letting go. She serves as one of the greatest examples of faith in Scripture. And we recognize that God is no opponent to despise. Both of these Christians wrestled with God knowing that He would provide for them every blessing. And that is what He does. God blessed Jacob that night and you can see how that blessing is manifested in the reconciliation with Esau and even more so with the promise of bearing the Messianic line that through him would the Son of Man come. And God blessed the Canaanite woman with faith and with her daughter being healed that very hour. This Canaanite woman is also blessed to be upheld in the Bible as a model and an example for faith. In the same way, God also blesses you. He blesses you by sending his son to save you from your many sins. And this means that Jesus has paid for the many times you have been immoral with your thoughts and deeds. Jesus has paid for those sins of adultery and divorce. Or even advising people to do such things. He has paid for the sins of neglecting children or not wanting them. He has paid for the sin of revenge or fighting brothers in the faith. He has paid for the times we have been too timid to come before God to receive his great blessings. When God promises to give us things, let us be bold in receiving them. Let us hold God to his word of promise. And so when Jesus promises that the Lord's Supper will unite you to himself and forgive you of your sins, you go to the sacrament and you receive it in great joy. You desire to have it. When God promises that your sins are completely canceled out when the absolution is declared to you, you go and confess your sins and receive the absolution which follows. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will strengthen your faith through the word of God. And so you cling to the word of God. You never let go of it. You study it. You read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. What all of this means is that you wrestle to receive these blessings of God. You cling on to them as Jacob did to God himself and do not let go. For in Christ and through his word, your sins are truly canceled out. God is declaring you to be a saint, holy and acceptable to to God for heaven. He is announcing you to be a child of God. He has adopted you into his family. And therefore, Jesus now is your brother. You are blessed indeed. And so cling in faith to these gifts of God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. You may remain seated as the children sing the offertory. After they sing, then we will receive an offering to the Lord.